the recording going. <clears throat> awesome. So we are underway. So to give you a bit of context, the reason I wanted to do a discussion on bravery is twofold. One is it's one of those things that's been coming up a lot in my work um, that people have discovered that the main value they're either not living by or the main value that will support them having integrity more is courage. And I've, as I've been writing my latest book on honesty, which is almost ready for publishing, I've come to realize that when somebody struggles with honesty, what they usually struggle with is either courage or curiosity. And what that means is either you're too afraid to be honest or you don't know what the truth is. You know, those are the two main reasons that somebody would be dishonest. Now, not knowing is you're trying to be honest, but you're just saying something that's inaccurate. But courage, bravery, the idea to be able to say something you're scared to say, something truthful, something high risk, um, that seems to come up a lot for people. And that's also how they kind of dig the holes they get themselves into. Something's uncomfortable to do, they avoid it, and they pay a consequence over time for avoiding it. Just, uh, whoever's unmuted there. Okay, we're all muted up. Good, good. Um, so I've come to realize that ultimately most valued living issues, once you know what your values are, it kind of comes down to just having the balls to live by them in difficult situations. Living by them in not difficult situations is kind of the default. So you'll, for example, if you value honesty, you'll be honest until it's hard to do. Honest, honesty will usually be your natural expression. Or um, respect. You'll be respectful until it becomes scary to do it, like setting a boundary with somebody but otherwise you'd be respectful. Um, so one of the, the dilemmas that kept coming up with my clients is this belief that courage or bravery, as they often called it, was a kind of a natural talent. It's something you're born with, uh, and you're lucky to have it. And if you're not born with it, you're kind of disadvantaged. It's like a disability. You're not brave enough. You don't have, as one of my clients says, I keep lacking the balls, as if he somehow doesn't have them. Uh, which becomes, it comes from a place of genuine belief. They really think, you know, I, I can't make myself do that thing I'm scared of. I, I lack whatever that talent is to make myself do that scary thing. Therefore, I am, you know, somehow disabled. And it also acts as a, an excuse. Like, how can a coward be expected to do such a difficult thing? That's unreasonable, so therefore I can't do it. How could I possibly go talk to that stranger when I'm so scared? That's an unreasonable request. Therefore, I don't have to do it. And this is where just so much of the, the fear of missing out and not good enough story, et cetera, et cetera, so much of that comes from this kind of practice of cowardice that we're all capable of. So I remembered a time in my life where fear absolutely ruled me like a dictator, where so much of my decision-making was based on how do I avoid something I'm scared of. <clears throat> and fast forward through to today and I can run towards things I'm, scared of, I'm, I'm afraid of. 
I've learned how to do that. That is not a natural talent I have. It's nothing for me to be proud of. No more than it's learning how to drive a car is something to be proud of. It's simply a skill set I learned. And so today I want to talk about what it is that I've learned. I want to talk about what I like I called this a blueprint for bravery, a step-by-step process for training yourself to be braver each day. For increasing the capacity for courage in a very practical way that anybody can do in any situation. Okay. And that's why I think this one's so important because as courage goes up, your capability for all other values goes up with it. Because most of them, the struggle is what happens when it's too scary to do it. Cool. So it's a big group of us. I may get some of you on to chat and stuff uh, as we go on. But to start off, I want you to use the chat box. I want you guys to each have a crack at defining courage. As simply as possible, no more than one sentence. Using the chat box, your best guess is what it means to have courage. All right, Ashwin, good to see you here, bro. Do what you want to do. Thomas, not giving a fuck. <laughs> Doing something in spite of being afraid of it. Good. Sorry, my internet is bad. <laughs> it's not quite courage, but I'll, I'll take it. It's fine. Peter, same as Andrew. <clears throat> Good. So we're going to come back to these and we're going to review them after we've talked a little bit more about what courage is and see both the kind of helpful and the unhelpful in these beliefs. Okay. I'm going to give you my definition of courage now or bravery. And that is deliberately acting in a way that increases your fear sensations. Deliberately acting in a way that increases your fear sensations. Now, I'll come to the reason why that's my definition. But first, I want to talk a bit about what fear is. I've got a list of some of the things, some of the forms that fear takes. And one of the difficulties with courage is not knowing what fear is. Thinking you know, but not being aware of it. For most people I talk to, fear is like terror. They actually feel afraid, heart pumping, you know, shaking, palms sweating, dry mouth, the physical sensations that we associate with fear. When people say being afraid, that's usually what they mean. And what they don't realize is that's exclusively what they mean. Anything else is something other than fear. If it's not that, it's not that fight or flight response, it must be something else. And one of the first things to understand about courage is knowing that fear is so much more than terror sensations. Fear is 
uncertainty. There is distraction, nervousness, confusion, busyness, procrastination, lethargy or apathy about something that was once important. Fear takes all these different forms because fear at its heart is not about a fight or flight response, but about an avoidance. Fear is like the master illusionist. It will do anything it can think of doing to make you avoid the thing it doesn't want you to do. And most importantly, what it wants you to do is put it off. It wants you to delay. Fear isn't so much about running away in a real fight or flight response running type uh, reaction. It's more about how do I get him to put this off one more day? Do I make him too busy? Do I make him think that it needs something else needs to happen first? Do I make him feel like this is too hard right now and should wait until a more appropriate time? Yeah. Do I make him feel like he doesn't have all the information he needs yet and has to do more research? You know, do I make him worry about all the potential outcomes and have to think about how to counter all those outcomes before he starts? What can I do just to make him put this off even five minutes? And, and the, the true kind of horror of fear is it has an endless uh, stamina for doing this. And you'll know it if you've ever spent tons of time overthinking a little thing that's uncomfortable. How your brain can just do it forever. It never runs out of scenarios, never goes, oh, I can't be bothered trying to put it off anymore. It just keeps going. Endless energy for it. It can use up all your energy. It's kind of like a leech. It uses your energy to come up with its illusions. All those movies in your head about what might happen, all those questions, all those distractions, it never runs out of steam. So the reason I bring this up is to go back to some of your definitions. <clears throat> if we take a mixture, especially of what Ashwin says, doing what you want to do, and Thomas saying not giving a fuck, it's quite often your brain, your fear, plays this little trick on you where it says before you can do the thing you want to do, you have to not give a fuck. You can only do it once you feel good about doing it. It's the best trick that fear plays. Because then it'll stop you feeling good about doing it, so you never do it. Once you've established that first belief, I need to feel good about doing it before I can do it, then all fear needs to do is make sure you don't feel good about doing it. With scenarios, with questions, with distractions, with busyness, with whatever. It's got an endless repertoire. And even, I think, Andrew's definition, doing something in spite of being afraid of it, is the closest to my own and the one that I used for many years and quite a helpful one. But even then, it, it has this essence of battle, of fighting against something. You versus fear. Who's going to win? It talks about a kind of strength that you need to push through this resistance. And then fear, all it has to do is be stronger than you and you lose. And it's very strong fear. Especially if you've lived in a cowardly way for a long time, fear's been at the gym working out while you've been sitting on the couch. You, you've got no shot. 
right? It knows what to say to you. It's like when you've got a manipulative parent who like pushes your buttons. Fear is even better than that. Fear knows exactly what to say to you to make you go, oh, now fuck that. Right? It knows exactly. It is you. So it, there's no secrets to fear. It knows exactly the scenario you hate the most. You know, if you're afraid of violence, it'll look at that girl you're attracted to. It's like, what if her big boyfriend comes and smashes you? You're like, oh, yeah, you got me with that one. Shit. Whereas the other guy is afraid of humiliation. But what if she screams? They'll use whatever your thing is because it knows you. And it's been practicing this for a very long time and it's been winning most of the battles probably. Yeah. The thing is though, of course, that's when it's at the point where you're about to do something. Fear does its best work in preventing that from happening, preventing you from even getting close to doing it. Distraction, busyness, procrastination, confusion. All these things where you're like, fuck, it's been a month. I still haven't done that thing. How the fuck is this possible? I don't feel afraid. It must be I'm a lazy person. You know? And fear's in the background laughing at you because you don't even realize fear's involved. Yeah. A couple more things. Yeah, so Christian's brought up a great point here. All fear needs to do is keep you busy long enough until the opportunity's gone. And then fear runs off and you're left with your values punishing you. You know, you're there in an argument with your values like, why don't you take that fucking opportunity? And you're like, well, I, where's fear gone? He was here before. He was saying I couldn't. Where the fuck is he gone now? You know, and he's just left you out to dry, you know. Suddenly you're just this failure who didn't, who didn't have big enough balls. One of the greatest lessons I figured out, courage is not strength. It's not the ability to push through fear. Courage is wisdom. It's about outsmarting fear. Okay. This isn't a battle of strength, but a battle of intelligence, essentially. The reason fear is able to stop you in the first place is because you believe what it tells you and you fall for it. And once you're in that world, you have no power. So, for example, once you're in the world of the belief, I need to feel good before I can do something, and fear controls the way you feel, you're powerless. You know? Or you're in the world where you've got to do it perfect, then fear can set a perfect standard that's too much for you, you're powerless. Right? It's being drawn into that world. That's what cowardice really is, is being deceived, manipulated, uh, falling for the magic trick. Yeah. Particularly falling for the trick of, I don't think fear is involved. I'm just too lazy. I'm just not skilled enough. You know, that other guy has an advantage that I don't have. Not realizing that all these things are just you being afraid. That's all they ever were. So the first thing I want you to kind of set in your head is that any time you even slightly delay on doing the right thing, even questioning whether or not it is the right thing before trying it, assume straight away this is fear. Doesn't matter how calm you feel, 
doesn't matter how rational the voices are in your head. Just make the assumption, I'm afraid right now. Because even if you're wrong, you'll still end up living by your values. So it doesn't, you can't go wrong with this. But whenever I look at myself doing something that isn't right, making something harder for myself to do the right thing, avoiding something that I know I should be doing, I just go, I'm definitely afraid of something. Because then at least I know what I'm dealing with. I'm not dealing with laziness. I'm not a procrastinator. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a coward, essentially. Once I can face up to that, then I can deal with this on a truthful basis. Yeah. Henry says sometimes you still have to use common sense. What I'd say, until you know that you're a very brave person, you can't trust your common sense. That your common sense committee has been infiltrated by fear. It's a corrupt committee at this stage. Once you're someone who nearly always, like 90% of the time, does what he's afraid of, then you can trust common sense. Then you can trust your instincts. You know, I'm actually in an interesting transition in my life where I've got to learn to trust my instincts more. I, I had to learn to distrust them because they're always just fear pretending to be common sense. And now that I know I can do the things I'm afraid of, I have to listen to them again because now they're like better tuned. Now they're telling me helpful information. <clears throat> we'll talk a bit about not being ridiculously reckless and taking huge risks later on. But all I'm saying at the bit where you're analyzing your behavior or lack of behavior, starting with the assumption, I'm afraid. The upside to that is you can't be courageous or brave without being afraid. If you're not feeling fear, then whatever you're doing is something else. It's not courage. An example I commonly use is if the, uh, the fireman runs into the burning building to save the baby, we go, oh, that's so brave. Well, only if he's afraid. If he's not afraid, that's just work. It's no different to the chick at the supermarket scanning your items. That's just his job if he's not afraid. Now, that same guy, and I know this from actually working with a guy like this, would be afraid of asking the girl out. Right? That's his bravery. So I've literally had a client who can like do the rope thing out of a helicopter into a burning building to save a dummy just for training. He feels nothing but pure joy. That's fun for him. Right? But asking a girl out shits himself. So him asking someone out, which on the surface just looks like I'm having a conversation, doesn't look like a particularly brave act, that's his bravery. Because he's afraid to do that. He's hesitant, reluctant, uncomfortable, all those things. So one of the things you've got to avoid doing is having like a general comparison definition of bravery. Like what do I think other people do that's brave and I've got to do that? Unless you're afraid of doing it, it doesn't count. If they're not afraid of doing it, they're not brave. They might still be good people living by their values in some other way. Uh, but if it's easy for them, like, there'd be some people running a webinar would be scary for them. It'd be brave for them to speak on the internet to a bunch of people. Right? It's not for me. I'm not scared of doing this. I've done it too often. 
I can't call this one courage. But in my wedding, where I did a wedding speech, even though I've done tons of public speaking, um, I did a very heartfelt, vulnerable speech about how I felt about my girlfriend. It was the most kind of lovey-dovey speech I've ever done in my life. And I felt scared of doing that. So I get courage points from myself for that one. Whereas other people can give a wedding speech and they, it was fun for them. The courage is wisdom, not strength. You're in a negotiation with fear and fear uses kind of sneaky tactics. Right. But fear is not your enemy. As Henry pointed out, fear is also there to make sure you do, don't do something too ridiculous. Right. So you're in a negotiation with fear. You're afraid of something and you and fear have to come to an agreement about what to do. You want to do the right thing. Your fear doesn't want you to do anything. There needs to be some sort of middle ground here. That's what courage is, a negotiation with your fear. How much discomfort are you allowed to do today? Just uh, I, I was looking at my notes, I kind of skipped over this, but in case I haven't already covered these, these are some of the things that fear uses as negotiation techniques. One, you don't know enough yet. This idea that you need more information before you can take this action. You know, for me, like when I went to start my business, I kept like doing all this research on how to start a business. Right. My fear kept telling me that you, you need to know more. You need to know more. This is what got me into pickup. I can't talk to girls until I know how to talk to girls. Right. I need to know more. I used to absorb all this information. You know, another one was tell you it's inappropriate and play on your social fears. Yeah. Not here, not now. You can do it sometime, just not right here, right now. Very, very seemingly common sense delay. You know, but it, that's all it is, a delay. It can say that any situation is inappropriate. Have you noticed that like you'll be bargaining with your fear about the right time to do something and you'll come to an agreement and then that right time comes up and fear suddenly changes the agreement? Well, now you can't do it because blah, blah, blah. You know, you might be thinking, I've got to tell that girl I like her, but I can't do it here because everyone's watching. And your, your fear is like, yeah, yeah, you've got to wait till it's just the two of you. And then later on, it is just the two of you, and you're like, oh, shit, no, I can't tell her now because she just, I don't know, she just broke up with her boyfriend. She's vulnerable. It's not the right time. Fear, like, backtracks and gives you a new reason. Fear can make any time inappropriate. Right. The obvious one, dangerous. Fear will tell you that there is a threat in this situation that must be avoided, that you're in danger. Theory occasionally, it's accurate with this prediction, but most of the time, no, it's not. Because what you will know from your own experience, most of the time, if you do something courageous, the first thought you have afterwards is, oh, it wasn't that bad. You notice that? How often that's the response? That your fear's prediction of how dangerous it was was usually wrong? It didn't go down like you thought it would. Sometimes it does, and that's kind of like the worst thing for someone who's easily afraid. The few times where it did go really wrong, you take that as confirmation that your fear knows what it's talking about, that it's good at predicting things. 
It's like if uh, somebody accurately predicts the weather once, and you think, oh, they must be good at predicting the weather. Even though they're wrong, like nine times out of 10 at least. Needing permission. Kind of vague sense that you need someone else to be on board with this before you move forward. You know, sometimes it sounds so reasonable. You know? Like, uh, trying to think of a recent one from my life, a sort of recent one, similar to the I don't know enough yet one, is I wanted to, a few months ago, I wanted to start doing those kind of pull-ups at the gym because I just thought they were kind of beast and I know they're like the hardest thing to do. So if you can do those, it's like the best thing for your body. But I thought I needed a personal trainer to show me how to do them properly first. Totally reasonable sounding thought, right? So yeah, I don't want to injure my body, right? I want to get my form correct. But then notice how I never really found the personal trainer or signed up or put much effort into finding one. It was bullshit. I do not need a personal trainer to go like that once and see what happens. Right. But my brain told me I did. I need that kind of permission from authority figure, which is just a delay. That's all it was. It's all it ever is. It doesn't really want you to get a personal trainer. It just doesn't want you to do this thing right now. As long as that happens, goal accomplished. It forgets about it after that. A big one that's come up in the Facebook group a lot, especially around guys going up and talking to strangers and being giving, is this idea that you're not sure of why you're doing it. You can't trust your motives. You're not sure that you're living by your values. So there'd be somebody who's keen to live by the value of giving by talking to strangers, and then you start talking to yourself, well, am I really giving, or am I just secretly selfish, and this is all just me lying to myself? Notice the delay as this conversation ensues. You won't know why you did it until after you did it. But your fear does this big conversation beforehand trying to convince you, you need to get your motives right before you do it. Delay, 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 delay. This is a very sneaky one for someone who gets into self-development because it has all these great intentions. Like I've got to live by my core values, have integrity. I've got to do this, everything for the right reason. And then fear just goes, okay, I'll use that then. I'll make you doubt every reason you do everything. Fear will use whatever you're working with. Working with values will use that against you. Working with goals will turn the goals against you, make them too big. Working with somebody else will make you want their approval. They'll use whatever's going on. Overwhelm is a big one. It'd be like, hey, you can do it, but you've got to do it perfectly. You've got to do it the right way. Don't do it the wrong way. It's actually like fear. I call it like false coaching. Fear sounds like it's on your team. Like, yeah, fuck you. Go do it. But then it follows with, do it right. You say, oh, shit. I don't think I can do it that right. I better go do some more research first. And fear's like, hey, I'm on your side. I want you to do it. Really, I do. Like, I'm on your team. You know, just... Make sure you do it absolutely 100% perfect. That's all I ask. You know, better than anyone ever did it. That's all I ask. Just go. Right? So it's really hard to know that that's fear because it sounds like you've got this motivational voice in your head, like, fuck yeah, let's do it. 
but actually it's going, fuck yeah, look how big and scary it is. You're like, oh shit. Right. I, I, I used to, well, some of you maybe, you know, do the workshops where I take guys out onto the streets, go meet people. And I'd say, well, you know, why don't you go talk to her? And the guy would go, oh, I don't know. She doesn't look like girlfriend material. I'm like girlfriend material. I think I say hi. I didn't say go fucking propose to her. But his fear is instantly gone as big as it can be. Like, well, you got to make her your girlfriend. You know? I'm like, she, she might be a lesbian. You don't know anything. You go say hi. But his fear tried to make it as big as possible so that it's impossible. Right? Sounds like a real reason. Is, well, why would I talk to a girl that clearly isn't right for me? Seems like a reasonable thing. I'm like, dude, all you know is she's got a red top and that she's walking away. You don't know shit yet. But Fears managed to convince them that with this brief scan, he can see a whole personality, isn't worth going into it, blah, 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 big story. Yeah. Same thing applies starting a business, for example. You know, but what if this isn't the right product for the right market, blah, blah, I was like, have you made one yet? What are you talking about? But I know that fear. I mean, when I first started, I'm like, oh, there's too many coaches out there already. And somebody's like, really? How many? I'm like, oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah, shut up. So that overwhelm, making this thing bigger than it needs to be right now so that you don't do anything. And last one, which is uh, in line with the common sense thing that Henry brought up, I think the most devious trick that fear uses is it pretends to be reasonable rationality. It gives you this bullet point presentation, clearly explaining the situation as facts and making it really just guilt-free to, to opt out of this one because it just makes sense. Even though if you took a moment to step back, you'd realize you don't know what the fuck you're talking about because you're not an expert in this area. It kind of just, it makes you think you are. That you've done this rational assessment and you're making the right choice even though you feel super guilty about it later on and you're missing out on all these things in your life. I remember when I was going to start my business, I told all my friends about it. Most of whom are like tradesmen who only spend their free time drinking. And they were saying stuff like, Oh, I don't know if you want to start a business in this economy. I'm like, do you even know what this economy means? Seriously? Do you even have a fucking clue what you're talking about at all? And I asked him, you know, what do you mean this economy? He's like, oh, you know, like they say on the news. I'm like, do you have a fuck? Do you even know how to budget? Shut up. Right? But they, they were sounding like experts. And I could just see it in their eyes. Like the thought of me starting our own business challenged them because they're all tradesmen. They could easily start their own business. You know, they'd all been doing it for years. Let's put their name at the front and they, they're away they go. And me starting my own business reminded them of that. And suddenly I got to see what they told themselves every week to delay starting their own business. The stories coming out. The fact that I was saying, oh, you know, in this market, too much competition. They're talking about their own shit. Talking about plumbing, bricklaying or whatever. They don't know shit about coaching, right? But I triggered that fear. It was weird. Like watching their fear attack me. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. That's, your problem yeah but just how reasonable it sounded coming back to you guys i want you to just take a second 
there's an action that you're not taking and you know it. Something important. It's something that keeps you up at night in a sense. You wish you did it. You're constantly wondering why you're not doing it. And yet when the opportunity comes to do it, you just don't. How does fear do it to you? How does it create this delay? Does it use a lot of different tactics or does it just pound one sort of winner home? Does it come up with a different thing every time? Or is it like this one thing, like you're not good enough, just this one kind of like home run every time? Share some of the stuff in in the chat box if you're if you're cool with it. Some of your ideas as to what fear the tricks fear plays on you. Even if you really like believe them, you're like, okay, it sounds from what Dan says that that's a fear trick, but it seems reasonable to me. Fine, put that in. Yeah. What's the little game it plays with you to keep dragging this thing out, procrastinating on it, stopping you from doing it? Henry's got a couple of things here. One is saying, after approaching a bunch of girls, you know, the fear never went away. What I'd say there is because you were always in a fight with the fear. The fear was always trying to stop you from doing it. You hadn't negotiated an agreement. It was just you versus fear. Sometimes you won and you'd be out there smashing it. And other times the fear won. You'd be stuck at home going, why am I doing nothing? It's a battle royale. Yeah. Another one from uh, Henry. What's the difference between courageous act and trying too hard? It's about the definition. Courage is focused on the value of courage. I be courageous to be courageous. The result of that behavior is almost irrelevant. I'll use an example you're probably all familiar with, like, If I go to talk to a girl I'm attracted to, if I'm doing it for courageous reasons, she can hate me. It doesn't matter. In fact, the more she dislikes me, the more courage points I get for staying in there. So let's kind of hope it's a negative reaction because then I get to score a lot of bravery points. She's nice to me. It's kind of easy. If I'm trying too hard, the implication is there's an outcome I'm trying to get. This isn't about courage. Courage is more the vehicle to the outcome. Like it took me courage to go talk to her so that I can get her. Courage becomes a means to an end rather than the end in itself. One of the things that makes courage a lot easier, bravery to build, is when you start to do it for the sake of becoming brave and for no other reason. Like a computer game where you're building up a character, like you're collecting something that makes him braver. That's all you're doing, just collecting as many of those things as you can handle collecting. How you collect them, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're scared of it, go for it. You don't, you don't have to win. There's, this isn't a goal to get something. And the bravery isn't like saving up money to buy something. It isn't like I'll become braver so I can finally get that outcome. It's I become braver so I'm braver. That's it. So the options of my values are extended so I can like myself more. What's going on in my external life is irrelevant. There's always opportunities to be braver. Every day I'm looking for something that makes me uncomfortable. 
I'm not trying to get to a finish line here and it doesn't matter what that something is. An example I've used with my clients a lot recently was that uh, I, I walk to the supermarket and there's a park that I walk through and the left-hand pathway is really sunny and nice to walk down and the right-hand pathway, they're both equal distance, is always dark and grimy and there's almost always a bench full of young people drinking and being really rowdy. So I walk the right pathway because I'm hesitant to do it because I'm scared of them. Now this isn't so that I can beat the teenagers. There's no final outcome here. I'm not going to get anything from this other than I took the hard road and I know that. So now I'm a braver person. There's, there's nothing at the end of that path. It's the same. I don't get to the supermarket any quicker or anything. If anything, I miss out on a bit of sunlight, which might be good for my skin, but the point being is I only do it because it's braver to do it. There's no further gains. Yeah. Let's have a look at what some of the stuff you guys put down. Christian, imagining it's hard, painful, time-consuming to do the thing. Yeah, the one that my fear uses is, is just hassle. It just goes, like, especially if I like, go to do my taxes, which in, historically has always been a hassle because I'm bad with that kind of stuff. I get that notification from IRD saying it's tax, it's tax time, and my brain just goes, oh, my God, this is going to be so much work. And just straight away it goes like that. I don't even know what it is. It could just be a notification from IRD, but automatically goes, oh, it's going to be hours of pain and struggle. And I just do this little, like, I'll put it off to tomorrow, you know? And that's all fear wanted me to do. Fear can make a big song and dance just to get five minutes of delay, you know? It'll put on a huge show because it's got that endless energy, right? But you're kind of imagining the process of doing the thing as being painful. That's a really common one with fear. Even though you haven't started the process yet, there's no evidence that it will be painful. Even if the past was painful, there's no evidence that this time will be. Your brain assures you that it will be. Peter says, other things are more important right now. The classic distraction. Yeah. I remember someone once said, uh, Marie Forleo, she said, we've all got the same hours in the day as Beyonce. And that was hard to hear. I'm like, oh, she gets quite a lot of shit done, you know. <laughs> and she actually has the same amount of time available as I do. So how busy am I really? But my brain would be like, you know, you're real fucking busy. You know, you're, you're too busy for this scary shit. You've got all these little unimportant things to do first. This massive list. We've got a big share from Andrew here. Andrew, I might bring you on actually just to share this one. Better than me trying to read in your voice. Are you cool with that? Yeah, man. Yeah, sure. So, um, so you want to speak to the first point there? Yeah, just uh, yeah. So, so a few weeks ago, um, I. I've actually been listening to um, the podcast to you where you interview a careers coach. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about, you know, go out and find people who are in the industry or doing things that you want to do, you know, to, to take them in for a coffee or whatever, make contact. And so I thought, and my excuse for listening to it was partly because my 16-year-old son doesn't know what he wants to do. 
So I thought, okay, I'll listen to this and give him some advice. And then I thought, well, I should actually do that. So I was thinking about it. And then at lunchtime, I thought, well, I'll just do a, a quick search on, on a keyword for that industry to see if there is actually anything around. It's a very new industry in New Zealand. Um, and lo and behold, a job had been advertised two hours previously. So just after I had the thought that I needed to reach, you know, how do I get in front of the guys at this company? There was this job advertised, and I thought, oh, I can't do that. But then, you know, needs a degree in, in the field, got that, um, knowledge of this and that, yep, yep, can do this, yeah. Experience in various things, haven't got that. And then the more I looked at it for the next couple of days, I thought, you know, I, I can actually do that, I can do it. So um, sat down to start writing a sort of a cover letter. Um, and it's completely different to what I've been doing for the last 20 years professionally, 25 years actually. Although it does rely very closely to my degree and is in fact the reason why I did my degree. Um, I might as well just say it's in um, the medical cannabis industry and I've got a degree in horticulture. <laughs> and my interest in that was the reason why I did that degree 30 years ago. Um, and... So I started writing, and five pages later, I was still writing, and thought, oh, I'm going into too much depth, now I've got to cut back on it. And then the more I looked at it, the more I thought, well, I'm not really right for this, but um, they do encourage people to just, you know, contact us if you're interested in, in dealing with us. And I've still been, every day, I think, well, okay, I'm not going to go for the job, because I don't actually want it, but I have skills and business that I've developed over the years that would be very useful. And I still haven't written the fucking letter. And so my notes that I've been making here every second line is write to Helios, write to Helios. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know, I'm making all these other excuses about another project that I'm, that I'm getting off the ground in the preliminary stages. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. Excellent example of the inaction. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us because that's what it looks like in real life. Like you start off all hyped, like, oh yeah, sweet, I'll do this thing. And even writing five pages is a little trick there. Now you've got something to doubt yourself about and you've got to start over again, which is a hassle. We could even see when you're describing looking through the job application as your fear started picking up on things like, oh, I don't have that experience and oh, I'm not sure about this thing. Starts planting those seeds of doubt. Very reasonable. And yet the, the process of applying for the job, I could do that for that job. I wouldn't get it, but I could apply for it. You know. Um, so your fears managed to trick you that applying is bigger than it is where anybody, a child could apply for that job. That's why I mean wisdom, not strength. You gotta know that applying for the job is actually a very manageable task. Getting the job's hard. Because that implies controlling something beyond yourself. So fear's trying to make you focus on that thing that's beyond yourself, get the job, or somehow change your career without being terrified, or whatever it's trying to get you to control. But applying for the job, you could apply for the job, be accepted and say no to the interview if you want. So applying for the job doesn't even commit you to anything. But fears manage to talk you into thinking it does. You know? 
Wisdom, not strength. You've been tricked into thinking something's way harder than it is. Yeah, the same thing with going to talk to a stranger. You think, oh, but what am I going to say next? And what if they don't like me? But all you got to do is say hi. You can actually run away after that if you want. There's really, it's nothing beyond your skill level. Just go over and go, and then run off, right? I've done it plenty of times. <laughs> yeah, they'll think you're weird, but you'll live. You'll be fine. It's weirder that you're standing there staring at them in a panic attack, right? So fear tricks you, the thing is this huge thing. Now, I want to go back a step because actually what you wrote before, Andrew, about uh, walking past drinking teenagers. Sometimes your fear is absolutely right. Don't fucking do that. It's, it's doing the role it's supposed to do, which is keep you alive. And because it's occasionally right, and we know it is, like walking through a, a GI park in the middle of the night is one of the least intelligent things you can do in Auckland, right? And you know that. There's statistics to show it. So on, just like I know jumping off a cliff is a dumb idea, or I know like, Drinking straight from a boiled kettle is a dumb idea. I'm afraid of doing those things. But just because fear is right about those things, we give it this kind of blanket authority, like, well, fear knows what it's talking about always. You know, it stopped me from running through those uh, crowd of gangsters at the park, so what stopped me starting my business? Uh, it's just the same, same thing. It's equally smart. Rather than actually, fear's job is to resist anything new. And sometimes it's right to do that, but most of the time it doesn't know what the fuck it's talking about. So the idea, just because fear was right about not running through the park full of, you know, mongrel mob, it doesn't mean it's right about not talking to that girl or starting your business or trying to pull up at the gym even though everyone's watching. It isn't right about those ones. Yeah. And you know it because when you don't walk through the park, Afterwards, you don't feel guilty about not walking through the park. You're not like, ah, oh, I wish I'd just taken on all those like gang members. Ah, oh, I missed an opportunity there. You don't think that, do you? But you do feel bad about not going to the gym. You do feel bad about not getting your business off the ground yet. You do feel bad about not expanding your social circle and just staying at home. You know the difference. Sometimes only after the fact. You know the difference between common sense, which is rare, and missed opportunities, which is common. So Henry says, how do you negotiate the fear and courage to work together so neither is winning or losing? Well, that's where we're all heading. That's going to be the climax of this, basically. Okay. We need to set some things in place, some, some kind of principles. So let me just check my notes where we're at. Andrew said before, you know, courage is about acting in spite of fear. What it is is more about acting in spite of this irrational advice that you're receiving. It's about going against the suggestion of what fear says you should do instead of the thing that you want to do. But doing so, as, as we're going to talk about, in negotiation with the fear. Let's come to an agreement on a way to do this. We actually got a hint in, in the little chat with Andrew there. Rather than I've got to get the job, I just got to do a rough application. It's more than nothing, but it's not so much that I'm terrified. It's an agreement. 
right? Fear goes, basically, don't try and get the job. And it's right to say that it's too hard to get the job. You can't control those people and their decisions. It's a ridiculous thing to ask of yourself. But write a one-page cover letter and put your CV together ready to apply, nothing more. That's a reasonable agreement between the two of you. You're doing more than nothing, but you're not doing too much. And then, once you get to the end of having completed the application, you go back into negotiations. All right, Fia, we've got an application ready for this thing now. I want to apply for it. I want to go for it. Any thoughts on that? What's the minimal step we can take here? We're moving forward. It's kind of like I talk to Fia like that. I'm like, look, Fia, we're going to do this thing at least a little bit. So get on board. What little bit can you handle? It's not kind of, are we going to do it? It's how much of it are we going to do? You know, I see that person I'm interested in talking to. How much of an effort am I going to put into talking to them? How far can we go today? Right. Feeling very scared. How about I just walk towards them and look them in the eye? Are you cool with that? Just that. Yep. Okay. Let's do that one. So it's just negotiation. I'm going to do it. How much do we do? But before you can get into that negotiation, you have to counter the advice that you've been getting to put off negotiations, right? Your fear doesn't want to have this discussion. It just doesn't want you to do anything. It's kind of like you want to do everything. It wants you to do nothing. And first you have to realize that when it says you don't know enough and inappropriate, dangerous, need permission, you've got to do it perfect. You know, that's the lie. And you have to be like, look, if we're going to negotiate, you can't bullshit me like that. One of the little uh, kind of markers I use, if I think of something I know is the right thing to do for my values, if 10 minutes later I still haven't done anything about it yet, I assume I've been attracted by fear. Okay. I give myself this 10-minute window. I'm allowed 10 minutes of planning this first move. Anything more than that, and I'm bullshitting myself. Right. 10 minutes is all it takes to figure out I need to draft a cover letter. In fact, 30 seconds is enough for that. But if 30 minutes later, I'm still writing this cover letter, you know, something's wrong. It doesn't take me that long to write a letter when I don't care about something, you know. Building courage is about taking the hard road as often as you can just for the sake of taking it. It isn't just about swinging for the fence with those big goals you have in life. It's all the little things as well. It's like another example, I was actually at the supermarket that I walked through the park to get to. And you can see like there's two lines. One has a happy um, checkout girl and one has a miserable one who's grumpy and scary looking. So I line up with the grumpy one. Because it's just a little bit harder. My girlfriend could order coffee or I could practice my check to order coffee. So I choose to order the coffee because it's a little bit harder. It also helps me practice my check. So often when I choose the courageous option, I get this extra bonus out of it. Like I get to live by other values as well. I get to work on my goals. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm just constantly scanning for the slightly more difficult option. 
Hot shower or cold shower? Cold is worse, so I'll choose cold. Okay. Order pizza or cook a meal? It's harder to cook a meal, so I cook a meal. Now, I don't always choose these options. Sometimes fear wins. But the point is, the more often I choose the harder one, the overall courage points I get. So when it comes down to the big things, oh my God, look at that attractive girl. She's getting away. I've got to go say hi to her now. I've built up to this. Right? Everything's come up to this. You know? All right, now it's time to offer to this, this big... Uh, this big package to this client, it's more than I've ever offered before. I'm ready. I've walked through the park enough times to be ready for this now. I've stepped into enough cold showers to be ready to take that step now. But that's still not why I do it. I do it because I like seeing myself be a brave person. So when I'm finished walking through the cold, dark part of the park, I'm like, good, I did it. Whereas when I walk the other easy path, I'm like, ah, pussy. I can feel it. I know that I backed out and I didn't have to. Both Thomas and Henry say it's about these small steps. That's the secret to bravery that nobody taught me that I had to figure out on my own is I don't have to do these big heroic acts. I just need to do thousands of small steps. And there's not a single person watching this live or listening to the recording who is incapable of that. Just like anyone can learn a martial arts, even if they don't have a natural talent for it, they just got to put in the work. Bravery is like that. You're surrounded by opportunities every single day to do something that's a bit more uncomfortable than the other thing. And for the thing that's really uncomfortable, there's a small uncomfortable version of it that you can still do. And every single step counts. None of them are pointless. Think of it like reps at the gym. Every single one matters. You know, whether it's the big thing like putting in your application for that job, or the little thing like setting a boundary with your wife that you wouldn't usually set. Or just the, I don't know, like uh, in Italy, I had a couple of opportunities. One was driving in Italy, which is a fucking nightmare. Um, but another one, we're at a restaurant and they made us wait for ages. It was really bad service, like an hour. And then they were rushing and they delivered a pizza and there was a bit doughy on the inside. It wasn't fully cooked. And I realized, you know what? I don't think I've ever sent food back before. I don't think I've ever done it in my life because I just always, I oh, gives a fuck. I'll eat it anyway. It's better than anything I cook, you know? And I realized, huh, I'm afraid of sending it back. I don't know what I'm afraid of. The chef yelling at me, people being embarrassed, maybe getting into an argument about whether or not to pay. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, we've got to send this back. Even though I could eat it. I now realize I'm afraid of sending it back. So that takes priority. I've got to send this back now. You know, and we did. Nothing bad happened as usual. But if I'd eaten it, I would have, it would have sat with me, literally. Um, but also, as I walked away, I would have been like, I backed out of that. I ate a shitty pizza because I'm too scared to speak the truth. That would have been hard for me to sleep that night, you know, knowing that. I didn't have to get a refund. I didn't get a refund, actually. 
where we didn't pay for the pizza, but we had to pay for the rest of the food. I didn't win anything by sending the food back, except pride in myself, respect for myself, you know. Now, Henry brings up a good point. I'm still being blinded by outcomes. Yeah. I'm not appreciating personal growth that I can't see physically, but I'm aware of it. I'm going to talk a little bit now about the sort of three actions that build your courage. And one of the things I've got to say is frequency is the key. You don't have to do big things. You just got to do lots of little things. And it's in doing lots of little things that you get to stack up these wins because any discomfort that you choose is courageous. It doesn't actually matter how uncomfortable it is. Anything is. And what it does is if you stack them up, if you do like lots of them, at least one a day, but more if possible, you start to see this frequency of being brave, like, fuck, I always take the hard road. And you start to see also the, the speed at which you do it. What used to take you like days to deliberate over, you now just a couple of minutes hesitation and boom, you're into it to see that progress. You know, it's amazing. Like I had a confrontation the other week. It took me about 30 seconds of delay to initiate the confrontation. Five years ago, if I'd done it at all, I would have taken me months to have that confrontation. So I've got months down to 30 seconds. That's a measurable gap. You know, that's a measurable improvement. And it's one I, it gives me trust in myself. This is the one thing I go on about with courage, really, is that the more courageous you see yourself being, the more you can trust yourself to handle shit in the future. You know? And that's why you've got to give yourself as many examples as possible. You want to stack up so many that your brain is convinced that you can handle the hard road. Because you're always doing it. Small, but significant. It doesn't have to be a big heroic act, but it does have to be uncomfortable. It has to be done in the face of, I don't know enough yet, it's inappropriate, it might be dangerous, do I need permission? You know. It's got to be done perfect. You've got to do it in spite of all that noise. Yeah. So like I said, I'm going to re... Before we go into the practical stuff, I've got to reaffirm any resistance you feel, assume it's fear. Not common sense. Not until you know you're a very brave person. Once you're really brave, fear only sort of speaks to you loudly when it matters. Your fear has been at the gym for years. It's this big dominating beast yelling at you all the time. It doesn't know the difference between replying to an email and stepping off a cliff, right? Courageous acts is going to help you kind of define that difference. All right, so I've got three actions. First and foremost is desensitization. Okay. So desensitization is about slowly exposing yourself to greater levels of something. It's the most common therapeutic approach to overcoming fears and phobias. So for example, if I'm afraid of spiders, first thing my therapist will do is show me a picture of a spider. I'll do some breathing techniques until I'm not anxious anymore with the picture. Keep doing that until I'm bored with the picture. Maybe next time they bring a spider in a box 
They're not going to open the box, but the spider's there in the box. And we keep doing that until I'm okay with the spider being in the box. And the next time, maybe I'm holding the spider in the box. On and on until I've got spiders crawling all over me. And I feel about the same amount of fear as when I first looked at the picture of the spider. It's just exposure. But it's exposure with the right mindset. You know, you'll notice if someone's exposed when they didn't want to be, and it's forced upon them, and when they think it's awful to be exposed, they actually become more afraid. You know, like if you got someone who's afraid of heights and you take them up to a really high place with a blindfold on, they take the blindfold off, they're going to be more afraid of heights after that because they didn't want this. You have to want it. You have to be like, hey, today, what's the thing I'm going to choose to do to make myself braver? That has to be the mindset. Once it's your responsibility, once you go, this is under my control, I'm deliberately doing this, it's not being done to me, I'm doing it for my own benefit, this is for me, then you're in the right mindset to slowly move this scale. <clears throat> and you can actually quite practically do this. So let's say, for example, you're afraid of rejection. First, you can figure out what a 10 is. Say somebody screaming at you, fuck off, you fucking creep, in the middle of a crowded area, right? That's your 10. Or simply an action like public speaking is your 10, where everybody could turn on you. Public speaking about some vulnerable truth that might be controversial, you put that at a 10. Then you want to figure out what about a 5 is. What's something that it's still too scary for you right now, but you don't think it's unrealistic if you were to do some self-improvement. Yeah, maybe say just randomly asking someone out on a date, you know, or asking your boss for a promotion, even though he hasn't offered it. Something you label about a five. And then you come down to a one and a one is something you haven't done yet, but you could do right now. It'd just be a little bit uncomfortable. Like asking for extra fries at McDonald's for free. Knowing that they're probably going to say no. Right. You want the one to be so doable that there really is, it's really hard for your fear to say you can't do that one. But at the same time, not so doable that it's comfortable. Generally, it just needs to be something slightly new and unfamiliar. Or something familiar, but done in an unfamiliar environment. Like you might start conversations with friends easily enough. But starting a conversation with that person at your dance class who you haven't spoken to yet. Just a little bit. Mm, that's your one. And then you fill in two through to nine. Yeah, all the other ones, you kind of figure out a scale, which is going to change as you do this work anyway. So it's just a rough draft. You don't have to be good at this. You know, you're generally pretty sure of what a 10 is. You can't think of like anything worse. Um, and a one is just a little bit uncomfortable. And now your goal is to see if you can get to a two. Getting to a two means doing a one until doing a one is easy. It might be one time, it might be many times. But once the one is easy, then it's time to do the two. 
And every time you essentially relook at the scale. Does it change things for you? Does a two now seem too easy and you've got to jump it to a three, whatever. It's a very practical approach. But what I love about this is the point is courage, nothing more. Knowing that even one day when you get to that 10, the 10 is just going to be a one on a new scale. Right? You can always keep going up. But the key is you do something until you're comfortable with it, then you move up. That's it. We're looking for minimal possible action. Like with Andrew's example before, just putting the application together like the roughest draft ever of the application. The cover letter says, yo, I want this job. And then you attach that to your CV. Like that's the minimum. Start there. Make sure that's ticked off first. Yeah. And while you're moving up the scale, you want to practice these mindfulness techniques, okay? Breathing exercises, grounding exercises, especially anything that's like physical actions, say social actions. A little preparation when you take a few deep breaths, you notice what's in the room, you push your feet into the floor to feel them, and then you go do the action. Then afterwards, after the hype of doing the action, you just take some time to relax and calm down. Do this just sort of like a little bit of exposure and the rest of the time is calmness. Because you're also teaching your brain overall, look, I'm not going to go too far with this. You're negotiating with your fear. Look, I'm just going to do this little burst and then it's over. We're all we're back to normal. Don't panic. One thing I resonated with, with Henry and I used to do this as well, like if I was going to meet strangers, I'd push myself to do 10. And then I'd take three weeks off because it was just too much. When I got down to just saying hi to one person a day, I could keep that going forever. It was never too much, but it was always progress. You know? You've got to get your intentions right. Each and every time, go, I'm doing this to build my courage, nothing more. Right before you do it, here we go. Time for some courage points. Not, I hope this ends up with me getting the X, Y, and Z. Once you're there, then your brain, you're back in fear's realm. Fear can play with that easier. So, oh, once outcomes, I'll fucking use that. And then you're done. I'll send, uh, Andrew's asked about the grounding stuff. I'll send you guys a um, link with the, uh, with the recording later that includes some meditation techniques what I call sort of in the moment meditation. So wherever you are, it's just about noticing what's happening right now. Breathing is just like you focus on the feeling of breathing, push your feet into the ground to feel the ground, look, count like six things in the room, you know, even just pinching yourself. These little things like, oh yeah, here I am. Here's reality. It just stops you like doing the big, like future thing in your head. Like, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Let's get back to what is happening. So that's the first one, desensitizing yourself. So my challenge for you guys right now, if you're comfortable doing it, think of a number one that you could do within the next 24 hours. And if you're brave enough, share it in the chat group. Maybe even that would be your number one, right? 
just something like think about that thing that you're not doing or want to be doing more of what would a one look like slightest move towards it the minimum possible action with no future commitment <clears throat> so that is the kind of planned deliberate bravery training approach that first one this is where you got like a goal to be braver and you work on that goal each day by trying to move up the scale just a little bit the next one is a more fluid uh spontaneous one it's more of a like you're going to prioritize bravery during the day and look for opportunities. And that is taking the hard road. Okay. Whenever you're presented with two ways of doing something, choose the least comfortable one. And be looking for that opportunity as much as possible. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't even need to make sense. I actually learned this from some of my friends these tradie guys, one in particular, a friend of mine was a mechanic. It's hard to explain, but when he went to do a task, say like fix something, he always did it the real long, hard way instead of the quick, efficient way. Like if, uh, let's say our remote was broken, like it's broken open, I'd just tape it closed because it's a remote. Who gives a fuck? But he'd pull the whole remote apart and then he'd get glue and then he'd like set it in a vice and he'd do the whole thing, like fix it properly, even though it doesn't need to be fixed properly because it's just a fucking remote. And he still said, I'm like, dude, it took you an hour to do something that I'd do in 30 seconds, but he was doing it right because that was his thing. And I realized there's something quite rewarding in doing it his way. Sure, it's pointlessly inefficient, but there's so much more gain from doing it and he kind of does it right, you know? And that was where I first got the concept of kind of taking the hard way rather than trying to always look for that easy way out. I realized I was living a life where I always look for the path of least resistance. I was always looking for the quickest, efficient, smoothest, most comfortable way of doing something, thinking that that was good. That was productivity. But when you take into account, it doesn't matter what you do. You only get 24 hours in a day regardless and your inner satisfaction is all that matters, then how you do something doesn't need to be efficient if being efficient doesn't grow you. So look for the hard way. I gave you the park example, cold showers. Another a great one is to do something a way you haven't done it before, like brushing your teeth with your other hand, wiping your ass with your other hand, dressing weird and going out in public, dressed like less cool than you usually would. Right? Cleaning something properly rather than doing the quick job that just gets it done. It's about just teaching yourself that when your brain starts saying, nah, don't do it because X, Y, and Z, you know, fuck it, I'm going to do it. To show fear who's in control here. Right? That you will negotiate with fear, but let's be clear about who the boss is in this negotiation, who gets the final vote. The reason I step into a cold shower almost every morning is not to get good at cold showers. It's so that when I'm faced with a tough decision, I know how to step into it. The cold shower is like a metaphor for anything uncomfortable to do because I never, ever want to do the cold shower. Never. I'm never like, yeah, I can't wait to get freezing. 
ever. Later on, like uh, when I have to confront someone, it feels like stepping into a cold shower because I don't want to do that either. But luckily, every morning, I've been prepping for this. So I just step in, just like I do with the cold shower. Another way to do this is upgrades. Especially with communication, like call them instead of texting them. That's a slightly harder road, right? Cycle to work instead of driving. Go the long way instead of the short way. It's kind of upgrades. And clean something by hand rather than put it in the dishwasher. These things, it's just like a level up, a level harder than doing it the normal way. But especially when I talked about call instead of text or visit instead of call, this is a huge one for those of you who are interested in social connections. Stop hiding behind tools and technology. Go face the thing with your face, you know. It'll make you so much braver socially to always upgrade your form of communication. We have a few things coming through here. Oh, Andrew writes, not sure what you mean writing a really basic cover letter. What I mean is a first draft that does, isn't perfect and isn't good, but is finished. Okay. So you might not send that first draft, but you get to the point where if you couldn't come up with anything better, you could just send that. One page, bullet points, whatever it is, the minimal for it to meet the criteria of being a cover letter rather than a really good one. Thanks, Dan. That that was actually a paste in from my own notes um, about what my action. Well, that's actually what my action would be, um, rather than not being sure what you mean there. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I missed, yeah. I got the lining wrong. That's fine. Yes. Cool. Yeah. I, yeah. It doesn't doesn't put line breaks in. All good. Sweet. Uh, Christian, I'm working on slide one of a ten slide presentation. Such a perfect example because you've actually got ten things there. So you don't need to worry about two slides until one slide is done. Yeah. So you don't have to finish your presentation. You have to do one slide. That's your negotiation. Fear, presentation, 10 slides is too much, but one's more than zero. Let's, let's compromise there. Yeah. Henry's got both as one and as 10. Complimenting girls as dance class as a one. Confronting his boss, he didn't like him talking shit. There's a 10. A, a great one, a great example for this is that a five might be preparing or scripting the confrontation with the boss. So you're not, you're, you're all on your own doing this, but there's a kind of like, oh, now I'm prepping to do it. So that's quite scary to do. But also reduces the fear of the 10. If you know what you're going to say, it makes it a bit easier to do. So sometimes your, your lesser numbers will be actually a build up to the bigger number because it's a, still a step towards it. For example, like talking to a girl might be very scary for me, but walking towards girl I'm interested in before bailing, that's like a preparation. So I get used to just walking towards people. So as soon as I'm ready to just open my mouth and say something, I'm already at them. I don't have to do the extra bit as well. You know? Excellent. 
He says, taking the hard road, need to not fall into the trap of delaying action, getting more information, then slip into not finishing or starting things. There's a technique I call drafting, which is I finish the whole thing as quickly and roughly as possible as my first step. Okay. Uh, you can actually see this on my, new, my YouTube channel. If you go back into my older videos, how rough they are, and they're all unedited and so on. It's because I knew for me to get comfortable making videos, I just need to blast through lots of videos. Okay. It'd take me five minutes, I'd do some bullet points, and then I'd create the video and post it. Right. That was to overcome my fear of publicly posting stuff. Now that I've overcome that fear, I'm putting a bit more effort into my videos. I'm further along the scale now. Now I'm doing more researched videos, I'm doing more controversial topics, I'm doing better editing. And all of that stuff is, is uncomfortable for me. Even editing. I fucking hate technology shit. Right? As soon as I opened the editing program, saw the options, my brain was just like, oh my God, look at all this bullshit. It's going to be so hard. I was like, okay, I guess that's where I'm at now, trying to edit stuff. Even though I don't edit perfect, I just, the first one I just tried to like cut out some of the pauses, and then I posted that one. Second one I tried to add some images, and then I posted that one. So I'm just slowly moving up the scale each time. So quite often I'll actually kind of publicly go forward with a draft, knowing, like even my first book, I read it now, it's kind of cringeworthy to me now. I'm like, man, that's, that's not good writing. But I had to get that first book out to get to my second one. I had to get that out to get to my third one. And now I'm starting to get pretty happy with my writing. Okay. Nobody likes those other two books, so be it. I, I don't feel the effects of that. That's fine. Okay. So Peter's got, I don't express attraction to girls lately because it's inappropriate because I have a girlfriend, can't take it any further, etc. What I'd say to this one is, again, there's a sort of trick happening there. But you're kind of getting punished for not being honest. How about instead of trying to express attraction to girls, you think about expressing recognition to all people. Looking for the good in people and then letting them know that you've seen it. Because when people, this is something I've got to really harp on. When guys get really focused on expressing attraction to girls, there's just so much attachment outcomes in that as evidenced by the fact that you're only doing it with girls you're attracted to. There must be a reason that you're only doing it with them. It's because you're trying to get something from them. Whereas if you're like, okay, I'm going to go out and try to make the world a better place by letting people know what I recognize in them. Sometimes that will be attraction and other times it will be other stuff. Not only is that like, so many more opportunities and such a bigger range of bravery that you can practice with maybe attractive girls being a 10 and then the homeless guy, you know, talk to you about his day being a five or whatever, you know, telling the cafe person you like their smile as a one, whatever you got this bigger range, but also you're now not doing this for outcomes reason. You're doing it to work up the bravery scale. And this will normalize expressing attraction which of course ironically makes it more effective. So by the time you tell the girl you're attracted to, you also just came from telling a guy that you liked his shirt and telling the bar manager that you really found their job interesting. It's just another thing to tell people. It's not this big deal that has to go somewhere. It's all about sex and shame and all the bullshit, right? 
just tell people you like them. And they make a scale based on who's the most scariest to tell. Right. Andrew says, so when being cold becomes enjoyable, would you stop it? Um, I don't think it's ever going to. One of the reasons that so many people, like people doing the Wim Hof method and others use cold is because the body never really gets to enjoy cold. Cold is, uh, whenever, whenever psychologists do tests on pain, they always use ice water. Partly because it doesn't do permanent damage um, as long as it's monitored, but also because everybody finds ice cold, painful. Um, what I would say is if I stand to enjoy it, it probably needs to be colder. Okay, or longer. Or like, for example, when I used to do cold showers, I just stand there still and then turn it off. And now I like slowly move around and let it hit all the sensitive parts and, you know, like wash my balls in it and stuff. And it's, it's way worse than my first showers. I'm like letting it get to the corners and stuff now. And I'm really slow and trying to manage my breathing. And I think it'll be a long time before that becomes enjoyable, you know? And if it does, then I'll probably actually invest in, um, I don't know, getting an ice machine or something where I can actually make ice baths and make it even colder or do it outdoors, whatever. There's always an escalation. But for now, I've done cold showers for well over a year consistently. I still find them uncomfortable, so I'm still pretty good. I'm just very quick at doing them now. As before, I'd do one every like five days and do a big song and dance before it. Now I just get up, walk straight into the cold shower, no delays, but I'm still uncomfortable. Because that's essentially what bravery is, is just no delay. That's all. You're still afraid, you're still uncomfortable, you still don't know what the fuck you're doing, but you don't wait around to do it. That's all. That's all bravery is. You're quick. Fear is delay. Bravery is action. Yeah. Christian says he's been doing the cold shower every morning. Yeah, 30 seconds. And see, that's the great thing. So once 30 seconds becomes like doable, you up it to 45. Yeah. Or you move around more. Or you put your head under, or whatever. There's always the next thing. Yeah. You found soaking becomes numb. Yeah. There are some here. James Kemp, actually, he, he came on the um, Wim Hof thing with us. And the dude must have something weird with his nerves because he does not feel the cold. He was sitting in his ice bath. All of us came out like bright red just wrecked from this thing. And he was just sitting there like, yeah, it's not bad. He really wasn't affected. He said he used to go swimming in the one of those dams in the Waitakere Ranges in the heart of summer, in the heart of winter. He just doesn't feel it. Um, good on him, you know. So if, I guess if, if ice water is comfortable for you, then maybe something else isn't. You know, something physical, like doing a wall squat until your legs burn to death, you know. Um, that can be a big one. Or wearing really uncomfortable clothing, anything. You know? The point is that you don't want to do it and you do it anyway. Yeah, that's pretty much the definition of bravery. So we've got this two, move on to the last one now. So we have two, desensitization, 
planned kind of moving through the scale that you put some effort and thought into and you deliberately take an action each day or more than one. Two is the more fluid, choosing the hard road. Whenever you're about to do something, what's the least comfortable way of doing it and choosing that just because it's uncomfortable. You don't have to do this all day. You don't have to be living in a fight or flight response because you're just burn out, but a few a day and then the rest of the day you'll find relaxing much more guilt-free. You know, it's so much easier to relax when you've earned it. And bravery is a great way to earn relaxation. The last one is to always be a beginner. One thing you can commonly be certain you'll find uncomfortable is being new at something and being really unfamiliar. Okay. Whether it's your hobbies, work and education, physical fitness, Make sure at least every week you're doing something either for the first time or you're the least skilled at it in the group. The second example is particularly important. So going, say, for a dance class and being the worst person there, or at least being the beginner, has the double effect of also building social confidence, being incompetent in front of people is a very specific form of bravery to let people see that you're not good at something. You know, so you get two birds with one stone. You're doing something new, which requires courage, and you're doing it in front of other people who can see that you're new at it. So you get double points for that one. As soon as you're good at something, you need to be thinking about leveling up so that you're a beginner at the next level. You know, there's no point being the best white belt in the class. Go to the grading, move up to the next class, and be the worst yellow belt. Yeah. If you playing guitar, you enjoy playing guitar, stop playing those songs that you've done 200 times and pick a song that's too hard for you. And then let your girlfriend watch while you learn it. Boom, heaps of bravery points there. It'll also help desensitize you in a great way to the unknown. And once you're not afraid of the unknown, you're basically not afraid of fuck all. Okay. Most of your fears come from, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to handle it. And if every day you're doing something you can't handle, and you start to see, actually, I can handle not handling things. I do get through it. All of a sudden, new scary stuff, like traveling to that weird country or talking to those people you think aren't interested in you or you know, wearing clothing that people are going to judge you for, all that stuff won't be scary anymore. So like, yeah, I'm used to being the beginner and new and unknown. It means trying something before you know how to do it. So you're interested in doing something before you even look on YouTube as how to do it, just try it. Let's say you're interested in cooking. Literally get no recipes, just take the ingredients out of your fridge and try to do something cool with them. And once you scrape that into the bin because it's disgusting, then you go to the YouTube video. But the point was doing the first one with no assurance that it was going to be good. few more coming through. Krishna's doing the wall squats, yeah. Physical pain's are kind of an easy one uh, in terms of if you're trying to think of something to do courageous, find something that hurts. Right? It doesn't mean actually like doing yourself an injury, but there are like tons of great body weight exercises where you can see how long can I handle the pain? 
without having to worry about injuring yourself. Wall squats is a great one. You can't injure yourself doing wall squats. But how long can you handle the burning sensation in your thighs before your brain goes, no, I can't take anymore? And see how much, one of the great ways to practice courage is do a physical exercise like a wall squat or a plank, anything where you have to hold still and just slowly the burn builds. And once your brain says that's enough, see if you can do another 10, 15 seconds. And watch how early your brain says that's enough compared to what you're actually physically capable of. It's a huge lesson. I once doubled a plank after my brain said I can't take any more. You know, I'd done about a minute and a half or something. I got to almost three minutes. I was like, wow, it came in at the 50% mark. How fucking wrong was that? And the even weirder thing is when I stopped at three minutes, I probably still could have kept going. I just really was convinced at that point that it was over because I collapsed. You know? That's why ice cold water and things like that. It's like if you can't find any social opportunity to be weird or whatever, there's something you can just do with your own body where you face discomfort longer than you want to. It all counts as courage. Henry and Andrew getting existential here, talking about death. Yeah, I think uh, I saw a Snoopy cartoon, actually. It's, there's Snoopy and there's a little yellow bird thing that's his friend or whatever. And Snoopy says, you only live once. Oh, that's right, it was a stoic cartoon. Snoopy says, you only live once. And the little yellow guy says, actually, no, you only die once. You're living every day. I thought that was pretty cool. One of the reasons for me to build courage if I'm thinking about an outcome that I want is ultimately there's like a limited range of opportunities throughout my life. One day I'll die and that'll be the end of those opportunities. And I pass on most of them for fear reasons. That's all. And normally when I take them, even if it doesn't work out the way I hoped or whatever, I'm still glad I took it. There's a sense of kind of closure there. I'm like, at least I know. You know, when I, when I ask out someone and they say no, at least I don't have to wonder what they're going to say. I'm, I'm, that's as satisfying as if they say yes in some ways, because at least I did it. You know, I applied for promotions a number of times and corrections. Most of the time it was a no. But I was like, well, at least I know where I stand now. And that actually helped me get the promotion in the long run. But I applied when they were way out of my league. You know, I was applying for like a district manager job when I was like on the floor. And they're just like, why are you applying? This is to stop it. Leave us alone. I'm like, well, I'll see you next round. I'm doing this for me, not for you. You know? And that's the thing, like, with regards to fear of death, fear of the unknown, the conclusion I've come to is fear is not trying to keep you alive. It's not trying to avoid death. Because that doesn't line up with what fear stops you from doing. Why would fear stop you going to the gym if it's trying to keep you alive? That doesn't make sense. Why would fear stop you building social connections when you clearly know the evidence shows that people with strong, deep connections live longer? Fear doesn't make sense about keeping you alive. It does make sense about keeping you comfortable. What I've realized is that fear is all about familiarity. 
Fear isn't about keeping you alive. It's about keeping things familiar. The same. Status quo. Fear's motive is to avoid change. Especially any change that causes an uncomfortable emotional experience during the transition. Fear's not trying to keep you alive. It's just trying to keep you emotionally stable. Calm, comfortable. But fear doesn't have a very good long-term planning ability. It'll do the thing where you, you bail on something now and you feel relief. And go, see, that's a nice feeling. And then later on, you're lying awake with fucking chronic anxiety, wishing you had done it. And fear's just kind of like, my bad, I didn't see that coming. You know? Because fear doesn't think ahead, even though it's always talking about the future. That's the, the, the sort of irony with fear is it's always coming up with scenarios of what will happen, but all it actually cares about is how you feel right now. All those scenarios that it comes up with are just designed to keep you the same now, to not do that new thing, that unfamiliar thing. Courage is really that, it's like that old sort of cliched philosophy. If you want the easy life, do the hard thing. And the hard life, do the easy thing. Fear wants you to do the easy thing. It doesn't realize it's creating the hard life by doing that. Courage is about doing the hard thing. You know. For me, the greatest proof of this was, um, it's in the small thing. Something happened quite recently. Um, <laughs> I tried to do some fancy tech thing with my website, and I should just leave that shit alone because I'm just a dumbass with that stuff. But being brave... I was like, oh, I'll tackle it, even though I don't understand it. And I crashed my website and destroyed my email. Now, three years ago, maybe, I did the same thing, and it ruined my day. I was very fragile about it. I was like, my business is going to be destroyed. What if I get it? I had this big fucking upset stress thing about it. I had like 50 chat windows open with tech support people and panicking. This time, I was just like, eh, I'll fix it tomorrow. I noticed that change. I'm like, huh. I got stressed for like a second this time. Because last time, it really ruined a day. And probably further days after it, as I kind of regretted and wished it hadn't happened and all the pain I went through. And it's because in the years since that first time, I've been constantly proving to myself that I can handle shit going wrong. Right? And by handle it, I don't mean I win. I just mean I get through it. I take the hard road and I live. Right? So this time when the same thing went wrong, it's coming after years of evidence that, look, I've dealt with a lot of wrong. I'll be all right. And for me, that's the true reward of this kind of bravery blueprint. You know? Constantly just looking for that uncomfortable thing, doing it because one day you'll breeze through something that used to destroy you and you'll be like, oh, look how much I've grown. Fucking hell. And then you get a real sense of like, I'm like an unstoppable beast now. If fear can't stop me, nothing can. Right?
here he brings up a point, and we'll kind of wrap it up around here, but fear is like an evolution. And one thing to understand about evolution is how slow it is. So our brains have barely changed in the 100,000 plus years that Homo sapiens have been around. Because we just don't move that quickly. Okay, nothing evolves that quickly. But technology and civilization has changed dramatically in that time. That evolution has been very rapid, especially over the last 100 years. So we've got the brains of people who used to wander around in small tribes and try not to die, who are in the middle of the food chain. In a world where we're top of the food chain and there's 7 billion of us. Right? And this is why, like, put it this way, if you're living even 10,000 years ago, I'd say whatever your fear is telling you to do, do it. Because it would have been fine-tuned perfectly for the environment you're in. Every time you're afraid, you would be right to be afraid, probably. Right? Now, it's often incorrect. Emailing your boss is not going to kill you. You know, talking to that girl will not bring the wrath of the next tribe onto your tribe. All right. Going to the gym is not going to poison your body. Yeah, in a sense, we've got it too good now. We react to an email, like somebody said once, and we react to a nasty email the same way we used to react to saber-toothed tigers. Right? But your fear can be educated. You can have an evolution within your lifetime. I'm not talking some pseudo-spiritual bullshit. I mean, you can bring your fear up to speed with what's real by constantly taking the hard road and showing it, see, it's fine. And you kind of upgrade your fears, whereas now, like, genuinely, the only time I actually feel afraid is when I'm really in physical danger. Okay. Like, I get fear when um, I'm in the car with Lucy's dad driving. He has a history of car accidents, and he's really fast driver who doesn't pay attention. I look at that, and I'm like, I am right to be afraid right now. My life is in this dude's hands. And he's a fucking awful driver. And this is how most people die on the roads. This makes sense. This is quite rational fear I'm having here. Whereas before, when I used to get afraid of talking to a stranger, it's not as dangerous as it looks. You're more likely to die in a car than you are talking on the, someone on the street. All right. Now, back in the day, you went and talked to some random tribe, like, hey, how's it going? They would have speared you in the face. You've still got that brain. It used to be if all your friends suddenly didn't like you, you're fucked. All your resources are gone. You're left in the wilderness. But these days, yeah, fuck it. I'll just go find a new group of friends because there's 7 billion humans out there. Right? There's not just 30,000 that can all turn against me. But your brain's still wired that way. So rather than fighting against it, think of it as your fear as being this like immature child that needs to be educated. And the way I'll be educated is in these agreements. Right? I can't force feed it into something terrifying, but I can show it a little bit and go, are you okay with that? Let's try a little bit more. But 
But to finish off, I've got to say, Henry picked up what is going to be the biggest issue for you is when you're doing this for a reason other than to be brave. When you're building towards an outcome. Once you go into that realm, fear will rule you because you're now in the fictional realm again. That's where fear lives. That's where it decides the rules. So even if you're like, okay, I'm just going to go talk to that stranger, but secretly like, and then eventually I'll be able to talk to girls and get them. Brain's like, ah, oh, I got this motherfucker now. What if the stranger beats you up? What if he doesn't like you? Well, and just does all the stories based on the outcome. But if you're like, I'm going to go talk to that person simply because I'm scared to talk to them. Then afterwards, I'm going to go drive the car from the work pool that I'm a bit scared of driving because it's a manual and I'm only used to automatics. You know? And then I'm going to go ask the boss if I can move my desk, even though I know he's probably going to say no. Then there won't be attachment to outcomes. You're just looking for opportunities to be brave. That's all. Anything. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how it goes. You're just looking for those opportunities. And what I would say, especially with the desensitization, try to identify what your biggest fear is in general. Is it rejection? Is it failure? Is it success? Is it death? Whatever it is, base your scale on that. If it's rejection, do a 1 to 10 of rejections of things that people will say no to. Yeah. For me, like overcoming my fear of death was actually more academic. I started reading nihilism, existentialism, philosophy of pessimism. I started listening to people who are willing to talk openly about death. You know, looked at scientists and their findings about death and everything. I just faced it and absorbed information about what death really was. Tried to understand it. And eventually got into stoicism and the acceptance that I'm going to die, you know. But I did like a scale where I saw, I'm like, I'll just watch this one YouTube video by these uh, atheist dudes about the difference between being alive and being dead. And then I'll just take some deep breaths after that and try not to freak the fuck out, you know. And I'll go have a look at the next thing. Maybe asking for what you want. It's not so much about rejection, but showing desire. That you have shame about. So just being direct about things you're interested in or preferences you have. A scale based on that. And when it comes to taking the hard road versus the easy road, look out for that social easygoingness where you choose to fit in rather than stand out just because it's easier. And take the stand out road a bit more. Disagree with the group. Suggest Chinese when everybody wants to go for pizza. You know, even though you're going to lose, just do it because you're not comfortable doing it. Frequency, consistency, not quantity, it doesn't have to be big, it just has to be often and regular. Then one day you'll be faced with the big thing and realize, oh, I can do it because you've been practicing for this. And he says, my biggest fear is losing self-control. So put yourselves in uncontrollable situations. You know, maybe start off with a roller coaster. 
or maybe you have a confrontation with someone who you know winds you up. Or you plonk yourself in a city that you don't understand and you have to try and find your way out with no phone. You know, put yourself in situations you can't control or situations that aggravate you out of your own control, but in little controlled experiments, safe ways of doing it, things that have a limited time perhaps, or have a backup plan or an escape route. You know? Final thoughts or questions before we wrap it up for today. That's it. <laughs> All good. Well, let's see how you guys go with that. I just wanna, I, I promise you, this is one of the things I absolutely do myself. And I attribute it with constant growth. You know, I'm just constantly looking for those little opportunities to do something a little bit uncomfortable. And it really does add up. And I used to run away from all these things. But I'm not better than anybody. Just learned a skill set that anybody can do and apply. Just keep in mind, if whatever you set for yourself doesn't get done, it was too big. Make it smaller. If anything requires a delay, change it until it doesn't require a delay. You have to wait. Make it something you can do now. Yeah. One is better than zero. So much better than zero. So it's actually the whole difference. One is all it needs. But zero is nothing. Zero, fear one. One, you win. Doesn't have to be a ten. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for coming on live, and uh, and sharing your thoughts and questions. So much better than when I talk to myself, which always just feels weird. And uh, I'll send the recording out soon and some of the uh, meditation mindfulness stuff that you can use to sort of prepare and recover from the little experiments as you build this thing. And uh, I'll see you guys all whenever the next one is. Thanks, Dan. Cheers, guys. See ya.